I'm Josh, and my mission is simple. I teach tens of thousands of home service business owners like you how to grow a profitable seven-figure business. Every week, I deliver mind bombs and systems designed to help you gain mastery over marketing, admin, production, and sales inside your company. Each week, I'll open up the vault so you can finally take hold of the life and business you deserve. There is only one thing between where you are today and where you want to be, and that is the growth you're willing to endure. You're in the right place. Welcome to the Growth Vault. Hey, my friends. Welcome back to the Growth Vault podcast. Josh here. Hope you're doing awesome in your quarantined lockdown state. I hope you're getting a return on investment, whatever that looks like for you, whether you're moving forward with sales, even though you're freaked out, whether you're spending time with your family, whether you're revising systems, or maybe you're doing a cash flow analysis because maybe you've never done that before and now you have no choice. That's still a very positive thing. I'm joined today by my good friend, Brian Hegarty. He's been on the podcast several times in the past. But we haven't talked to him in a while. And it's, what's happened in his company over the last few years is pretty remarkable. He has an amazing story and even better personality. But his business has just been booming. He opened up another location. He's super optimistic about this year. And I was talking to him on the phone privately this week. And I thought, you know what, Brian, I just I need to get you on the podcast to share what's going on. He's going to be hitting about $2.5 million in revenue this year. He has a, you know, a full team. Uh, he's huge on company culture. But I just wanted to get get your thoughts, Brian, and I appreciate you taking the time. Hey, Josh, it's always great to be on with you, man, and, and uh, I, I always have a blast. So um, whatever you want to talk about, I'm on. Well, I'm just curious what your general uh, outlook is on just what's going on. How are things going? You're on the East Coast. Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, I'm, first of all, I, I like to preface this with, like, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a CDC expert. I'm, you know, I'm not privy to all of the information out there, but I see this as like one giant knee jerk reaction. And it's like way, 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 way overblown, way overblown. You know, just yeah. to give you an idea of, of like the difference between this coronavirus and, and the other stuff that's been going on in since October of last year to March of this year, which is six months in America, between 38 million and 54 million people have had the flu. I'm not talking about this virus, I'm talking about the flu. Okay, out of all of those people, between 24,000 and 62,000 people have died. We did not shut down schools, we did not shut down work, we did not shut down everything and go panic and run and hide under whatever bush you're running and hiding under. You know, we're talking in our country right now, there's less than 100,000 people infected by this virus and there was the CDC estimates between 38 million and 54 million had the flu in the last six months. This is a big knee-jerk overreaction. Media's hyping it up and politicians are responding. I don't know what the bottom line is or like, you know, I mean, there's so many different like um, uh, conspiracy theories and all this stuff behind it. Honestly, I don't really care. I can tell you this. It's not that don't, I'm, I'm taking coronavirus serious. We put in precautions for our employees. We put in precautions for our, um, our clients, we made sure that we've social distance, we have staggered start times. Our staff in the office has always worked from home, always since the beginning of our company. The sales staff has always worked from home since the beginning of our company. You know, we don't interact with clients on a daily basis. It's not like I'm standing behind a cash register or something. You know, we're outside, we're doing our thing, and we're sanitizing the houses. I mean, we own a power washing company, that's what we're doing. We're spraying bleach and we're killing everything. So <laughs> I'm really not, like, I'm really not. And my guys wear respirators when they work, so they're not even having a problem with each other. We've taken um, older machines and trucks and put them into play so that guys don't ride in it. Like, we have trucks hooked to trailers, and so now two trucks will go instead of a truck and a trailer so the guys don't travel in the same uh, van. Um, I, I will say three years ago, we had some type of a bug or something go through our company, and I, I, was, I was down five techs in one week. So I'm taking these precautions because I don't want it to affect my capacity. Mm. You know, the, the bottom line is this on this whole thing. The CDC has said that um, uh, the preliminary results in the United States are that the highest percentage of people that are, have fatalities are persons over 85. And if you get it, you have a 10 to 27% chance of dying if you're over 85 years old. If you're in the 54 to 64 bracket, which is what I'm in, I got like a 1% shot to 3% shot. I got a 97% chance of living if I get this virus. And if you're under 
um, 19, there's like nobody, there's no fatalities. So I, I think this whole thing is a knee jerk reaction. And to me, I'm, I'm doing the same thing that I've been doing since the, the start of the time I've been in business, which is over 40 years now. I've seen the stock market crash in 1987. I've seen it crash again in the, in the late 90s. I've seen Y2K, 2008 recession and housing crashed. I've seen 9-11. I've seen this now, this virus. And every single time my attitude has been, this is not going to affect my company. And to me, it's a non-event. Wow. Well, with all with all that being said, because I, I, I agree, there's like two different camps of people. You have the people who are completely overreacting and freaking out. And then you have other people that are kind of like, <laughs> like mad at the coronavirus for being such a overblown thing. But, you know, economically speaking, everything is just kind of changed now. There's like a new normal. What type of impact has that had on your on your company? It doesn't sound like it's had much. It's had uh, none because of my attitude. And if, if you're going to, if you're a leader of your company, now's the time to lead. It is not the time to run and hide. When I was a kid back in school, this is in the 60s and the 70s, they used to sound the alarm bell and everybody would run and hide underneath their desk. And we were, we were practicing in the event that a nuclear bomb was going to be dropped on us from Russia. Okay. If you look at that, that was totally fear-based and it was completely ridiculous reaction. You're going to hide underneath of a desk from a nuclear bomb? Give me a break. I mean, that was like dumb. <laughs> that was like so dumb. 20 years from now, people are going to look at what we're doing with this coronavirus and they're going to go, holy crap, those people were just as dumb as the people who hid under the desks. We're, we're just overreacting on this whole thing. So my whole thing is, look, I do not, the last thing you want to do as a business owner is not communicate with your staff and not communicate with your clients. You have to communicate. Mm-hmm. So, what we have is we have a Zoom meeting with our staff every day. We used to have in-person meetings. Now we do it by Zoom. Everybody's in on it. Admin, sales, uh, the marketing department, all the techs, everybody's in. 7.40, every single morning, we're on. We go over, uh, one, one of our people in our company is assigned each day to go over one of our core values and what it means to them and one of our principles and what it means to them. We keep the meeting positive. I have all my, my sales guys giving us sales reports on how much they've sold the day before, what they've gotten in the hopper, what their close rate is, their average tickets. It's holding people accountable and it's making them feel like they're part of the company. You know, when a guy comes on and says, I have a 64% close rate and my average ticket's 991, I'm pretty happy and he's pretty happy. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed any kind of impact on close rate, on deal flow? I've talked to some people that own call centers, for example, that work with service companies mm-hmm. and just total call volume is just way, way down on average. Uh, have you been marketing harder? From a tactical perspective, what's kind of been a noticeable change or adjustment? Okay. You got to be really, really proactive on this. And this is not a time to go out and try to find new clients. This is the time you want to be working with your existing client base, letting them know you're open, letting them know the precautions that you've taken. We sent, we have 8,000 people in our, in our database and we sent out 8,000 emails and, um, and then we sent it by regular mail also. And it wasn't like, we never even mentioned the word coronavirus because I'm sure you're getting these emails like every day, you know, Bank of America's response to COVID. Like what? I'm not even, I got a credit card with them. Like, how, like why are they tell me about their COVID stuff? I don't really care. What we did was we just said, hey, we're open and we, we're open, exclamation point, exterior sanitizing. And in it, I said, um, it was very upbeat email. And it said, look, we're open. Uh, this, the situation, I didn't even say the virus. I said, the situation is not affected exterior work. Um, I, I know that there's some, of the people that are listening to this that have made services and they have window cleaning services, you have to start thinking out of the box on other stuff that you can do or how you can assure your clients that you will not be bringing anything into their house. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, one of the things you could consider is you have Tyvek suits and you put the Tyvek suit on with a respirator and gloves and go in and clean people's homes. I personally canceled my house cleaning people. They were supposed to be here, not this Friday, but last Friday. And I canceled them, but I paid them anyway. I said, Ruth, I'm going to cancel you because I don't know where this thing is going, but I'm going to leave a check on the door. You can just come pick it up. And this Friday coming up, I'm letting her in my house, but I'm providing her with respirators, gloves, and Tyvek suits. I want my house clean. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's so hard because home services is a general macro term, yep. and there's tons of different industries inside of there. And I, I've, so far, most of the external uh, services are still doing okay. They've sure. noticed a difference, but they're doing okay. But some of these other services um, are not doing okay. Made service, like you brought up, is one of them. Um, and, you know, pivoting, I talked to Elena Ledeau, she <laughs> started a grocery delivery service and had her maids go and shopping for people and delivering groceries. And she, and she didn't make a bunch of money on it, but she's just, she's pivoting and being creative as a leader, trying to think of ways to keep, give her right. uh, cleaners work. Yep. But, and it, so it is very situational. I think the biggest impact that's really scary is the psychological impact it's having on people. I mean, there's two different pieces to it, the way I see it, and then you can tell me your thoughts. The first one is it's a reality check based on uh, how irresponsible a lot of people have been up to this point. And not necessarily that they're just totally uh, irresponsible, but maybe they didn't have any kind of an emergency fund. They, they were a little loose with their spending or they don't understand their numbers or they haven't been proactive. And and there's a reality check there, which is a positive thing, but there's also just fear. Even good people, good people that care about their companies, they're just, they're paralyzed. They're not doing anything. They don't know what to do. They're scared to sell. To me, there's an opportunity in that. But I think long after the virus is gone, people are going to be, have like PTSD, (laughs) like a version of PTSD for hiring and scaling their company. What are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts on this is, Obviously, the virus is real. It's not as bad as as the news is making it up to be. And I look at fear as false evidence appearing real. And I'm not saying that the coronavirus is false, and I'm not saying the numbers are false, and I'm not discounting anyone who's died from this at all. I, I, it's a serious thing. I get that, okay? But what we get in our heads is we start spinning these whole things. Oh, my God, I'm going to lose my house. I'm going to lose my company. Oh, they're going to repossess my trucks. Uh, I, what am I going to do about all my employees? Blah, blah, blah. That's in your head. Hmm. That is something you can do something about. You're not going to do something about what government's doing right now because government's just, I don't know what the heck they're doing, but I'm going to, what I can do is I can make sure that I am proactive in my marketing. I'm communicating with my customers. I'm communicating with my staff. I'm letting them know our position. I'm letting them know our cash position. Like, like literally like we own everything. We have no debt. We're in a good cash position. I was planning on, possibly a recession after this election if um, if it had changed it into a Democrat um, president, only because Wall Street really doesn't like that. Democrats aren't too friendly to business, so they pull their money out of Wall Street, and that would cause a crash. Now, I don't know how big a crash, but I was already in a good cash position for that. I've also positioned myself by having all my employees on compensation base, except for um, the ladies that work in the office. Everyone else Work, it's production-based. You go out and you sell, you get a percentage. You go out and do the work, you get a percentage. And it's that simple. So when I make money, they make money. And when they when I don't make money, they don't make money. So they're constantly looking for ways to help the company make money. So everybody's rowing in the same direction. I was talking to a friend of mine. He's got staff that he pays a salary to. And I said, those got to be the first guys you cut and you got to get everybody else on on, on, on uh, production pay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You can't, this is not the time to be carrying people on salaries is, is definitely not. And I don't think there's ever a time to be carrying people on salaries. Everybody should be based on production pay, compensation based pay. And it's better for them and it's better for you. You eat what you kill, right? Listen, we give our guys 20% of the work that they do. I, I have one of my guys, he went out yesterday. He did, uh, we signed him $1,200 worth of work. He upsold a neighbor on a house for 300 bucks. $1,500 at 20%. He made $300 and he was back at the shop by three o'clock. Mm. Well, let me, let's go back in time a little bit. I mean, to the average person listening to this, you're, you're just on fire. I mean, and Brian, honestly, the last three or four years, you've just transformed into a complete beast. I respect everything you've done. The results are insane. You have, you own all of your stuff. You're expanding. You have cash in the bank. Like you're kind of like this unicorn guy in, in home services in a way but it wasn't always like that for you, right? I mean, what's transformed oh, no. in your mind over the last few, few years to, to get you so strong right now? Well, I, I can tell you this. Uh, it was about five years ago. I think that's when we met. We met about four or five years ago. And, and um, it was about five years ago. And I was paying my people by the hour. I was hiring people off of Craigslist. And, and I don't even think Indeed existed back then. It was like Craigslist. And, and um, I was having people not come to work people mess up stuff, break stuff. 
They didn't really care. My trucks were a mess, chlorine all over the floors, rotting them out. You know, the shop was a mess. It was just, and trying to get, get that under control was awful. I, I signed up with Howard Partridge at Phenomenal Products, figuring like, you know, maybe I could learn how to be a better businessman because I, I was not a good, I was definitely not a good leader back then. As recently as five years ago, I wasn't a good leader. And uh, I, I went to a, a convention that, that Howard had. I forget what he calls him, but it was like a convention. And uh, Ellen Rohr was there and they were asking, what is the biggest problem you have in your business? And I said, it's these millennials. They don't want to work. They're such a pain in the neck. Oh my God, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and Ellen said, would you listen to yourself? Who would work for you? It was like getting punched in the face. <laughs> oh my word. I was like, you know, if you know Ellen, she doesn't pull any punches, you know? And she was just like, she said that to me. I got so pissed. I got up and left. I was up in my room in the hotel and I'm thinking to myself, man, who is this lady? Blah, blah, blah. Well, I Googled her and I thought who she was. And she obviously knows a hell of a lot more about business than I do. <laughs> well, she, just for people who don't know, I, she, uh, I think she was one of the co-founders of Benjamin Franklin Plumbing, right? They Correct. scaled that yeah. business to 40 or 50 million a year. Yeah, I know. Right. And here <laughs> I have to get like, who is this lady? Right. Well, thank you, Ellen Rohr, if you're listening. So anyway, that got me into thinking, okay, how am I going to resolve this problem? And what I did was, first of all, I, I turned and looked at myself and I said, you have to become a better leader. So I started learning everything I could about being a better leader. How to, leaders just, you're not a leader just because you're, you own the company. You're a leader if you have followers and they follow you willingly and they trust you. That makes you a leader. You're not a leader just because somebody said, oh yeah, Josh, hey, listen, you're going to be the general manager now and you have no experience whatsoever. No one's going to follow you. So I had to learn how to be a better leader. And then I had to learn how to hire people. And I really, I created the, the, most of you know, I created the ultimate rockstar employee toolkit, which is available over at automate grow cell. And um, I, I no longer own it. Um, Brandon Vaughn owns it, but I created the, the ultimate rockstar employee toolkit. And that's what we used in our company to hire. It's what we still use today. We did an interview last night. We put the guy before that, we put him through our pre-interview process. We put him through the reference check process. We've, we um, interviewed him last night. We recorded the interview. Two of my other staff are watching the interview today. And all four of those people have to agree to hire or the guy doesn't get hired. Mm. We look for culture fit before we look for anything else. And obviously, if you're a tech, we're looking for somebody that's got outside work experience. You know, we're not looking for somebody that worked in Amazon's warehouse, you know. And, and um, so we have criteria that we're looking for. And... Then I created a leadership program in my company, which my guys participate in voluntarily. We do it um, in wintertime, every Wednesday morning. We read books like How to Win Friends and Influence People, The Power of Community by Howard Partridge, Extreme Ownership by Jocko Wilnick, which, Josh, if you haven't read that book, that is an awesome book. Um, my wife actually read that book. She was freaking out. Great, she loved it. It's a great book. And then he's got a follow-up to that, the dichotomy of, of leadership which is the yin and the yang. Like, you know, you, you have to take ownership for everything that happens in your company, but not overboard over ownership. Like you can't say, oh, the guy wrecked the truck and it's my fault. You know, like, I mean, the guy wrecked the truck, he wrecked the truck. It's not, so there's a dichotomy there, you know? Um, but we, and we had, we have group Zoom meetings and we go over these things and we talk about them. So we'll read three chapters and then we'll, each one of the people that's in the meeting will take one chapter and they'll discuss how, how, how it applies to them in their life, in their, in their home life, and how it applies to work. And so I've created six young, seven young guys that are leaders that, and the, the biggest problem, this is something I read a long time ago. It says leadership, the ability to staff grow leaders throughout the organization who have the capabilities to delegate and predict. If you don't have that, you won't be able to scale. It's right here on my wall in my office. What do you mean by that? Okay, so here's what I mean. If you don't have enough leaders in your company, you cannot scale. It's not possible. It, you, one leader can only handle seven people. Mm -hmm. So you need other leaders. You need to have a, a general manager. Your general manager has to possess leadership skills. He can't just be some guy you promote to general manager. You need a, um, a, a like we have trainers now. My trainers can handle two or three different guys at one time. They know how to motivate them. They know how to delegate properly using the smarter delegation method, which is 
uh, you know, I mean, you can look it up. It's called smarter delegation method. And they learn how to delegate properly because the one thing you hear all the time is, you know, I told this guy a million times how to do it and he just can't do it right. That's on you because you either gave it to the wrong guy. That's totally on you. Or you didn't give him the tools he needed or you didn't make it time bound or you didn't make it specific or you didn't make it measurable. He didn't agree to do it. And it's not reasonable, smarter. So that's on you. If, if you're delegating something to somebody and they're not getting it, you didn't delegate it correctly. Yeah, I think that's really fascinating. And I do hear that a lot. One of the exercises I do with small companies when I'm working with them is <laughs> I'll have them create an org chart for the first time. But what, what, what ends up happening is when you look at the average small company, they don't have an org chart in the sense where they have a CEO at the top, they have, you know, managers and other leaders below them. And then it doesn't cascade down into the text and all that. It's more like they're a dot. And then there's like, 10 dots in a circle around them connected oh, yeah. back to them <laughs> like, yeah. like a spoke of a wheel. And I help try to help them understand, you know, the limits to that because you're just a person, right? And so you can't have every issue or, or maybe you remember in your company, I, I know in mine, um, every little issue has to get ran through you and it just breaks you. Right. So it's like every little question, Hey, the customer asked this, how do I do this? How do I, and like every little micro decision is getting crammed back to you. Yep. Because your org chart isn't set up right. And then have you heard of the concept of the, the ones and the threes? So it's like, and this is interesting because uh, for a brand new business, it's, it's, on, it's a mental, financial, and physical struggle to, to take something from nothing and get it to your first hundred grand. Oh, yeah. And then once you're there, you're, you're good to go. But then you start entering more resistance when you get around the three to 500,000 range for a variety of problems, cash flow problems, you need other people. And then once, if you get that dialed in, you can, you can push it up to about a million bucks and then it starts over again. So it's like, and these aren't exact numbers, but the concept I think is really self-evident ones and threes. It's like everything will work and then it will break. And then you have to add leadership, add delegation, up level your game as a CEO. Then you can scale it up to a certain point and then it will break again. <laughs> it just keeps happening, right? It, yeah, that's very, it's very, very true. Um, the, um, the, one of the books that can help you with that, um, with that problem where everything has to come through you is that book Clockwork um, mm -hmm. by uh, Michael McCallowitz, I think is his name. Yep. And um, that, that I, I got a really good exercise out of that. What I did was this happened probably three years ago um, before I started the leadership training in my, in my company. And I, I was every day he had an exercise every single day when you're trying to do something and you get interrupted by something else, write down what it was like, write down every minute of your day. So I started in the morning at like seven o'clock and by seven 15, I was already being interrupted by, with a question. Then I was another one, another one, another one, another one all day long. I wrote the whole thing down and then I had a team meeting and the guy, he wants you to do it for like a week. I think I have to do it for a day. <laughs> I called everybody in and I'm like, I want to tell you what happened with my day yesterday. And I started, and you should have seen their faces. They all, they all started like their jaws were dropping. Like, Oh man, everything is getting run through Brian. And so I said, look, here's what I want you to do. Anytime you call me with a question, you've all been properly trained. Every single person's been properly trained. And this is on me because I am probably micromanaging you. And you think you can't make a decision on your own because if you make it on your own, you're going to get yelled at or something or whatever. So here's what I'm going to tell you. If you come to me with a problem, I want you to come with two solutions. Ooh, that's juicy. I, I want you to that. come with two solutions. Don't come to me and say, hey, I got a problem or can you help me with this? I want you to say, because I'm, I'm going to say, what are the solutions? And if you don't have them, I'm hanging up and you can come back to me with the solutions. All right. That stopped it. Mm -hmm. Well, and part, part of it is being willing to let other adults make adult decisions and live with it and, and not to burn and not to crucify them if they make the incorrect one, because yep. you should throw a party if anybody on your team even makes a decision, even if it's a bad one, as long as their heart was in the right place, if they just, you know, inadvertently made the wrong decision, you should high five the crap out of them, right? Yep, correct. You know, the way I looked at it was this. These people have made decisions on buying cars, renting apartments, buying houses, buying insurance, doing all this. They've done all that by themselves and they can't make a decision on whether or not to, you know, go back to a customer's house or clean the guy's deck for free or something. Like, make the decision. If it's, mm -hmm. it's going to cost the company under 300 bucks, just do it. Mm -hmm. And yep. 
I, I honestly, my phone hardly rings at all. Sometimes I'm like, geez, I wish somebody would call. <laughs> <laughs> you feel useless. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a be- I used to always tell people, um, I don't, maybe this was you that told me this. I can't remember, but uh, I used to tell people, you know, you don't want to be the quarterback. You want to be the coach and, and, you know, everybody wants the ball. And so like, um, uh, you know, their, their, their employee fumbles the ball and so they want to hop, they want to suit up, get in the football game and become the running back or become the quarterback, which is a mistake. Instead, you need to be the coach, you use words and leadership and communication and expectations and, you know, accountability to manage it. But then someone told me, Josh, you don't want to be the coach. You want to be the owner. You want to be in the press box. Like, and when you're in the press box. Yeah, I think it was you. And I it, said you want to be the you want to be the guy behind the glass wall. <laughs> yeah, I'm like God. That's huge because yeah. a big company. If you're the coach, that's just your general manager. That's your ops manager. That's your sales manager, right? Yep. Um, let me ask you about your sales growth because your company's gotten way bigger. I mean, you're going to be pushing two and a half, three million dollars this year. That's a lot of growth in the last few years. Obviously, part of it is your capacity having really insane teammates on your team and all that. But just from a sales perspective, what did you change? Did you do more advertising? Did you get more dialed in on your numbers, understanding your customer acquisition costs? How did this happen? How are you selling so much work? It was a combination of a lot of things. Um, one of them was to learn how to be a better marketer and, uh, and to only, you know, you can do like the shotgun approach, like uh, EDDM, which is like, you know, every door direct mail, and mail out certain neighborhoods um, because you think your ideal client is in those neighborhoods uh, because you did a house in there. You assume that everybody else has the same size house. So they're all the same, but that's not necessarily true. Like what I really did was I sat down a, a Betsy Kent from be visible is um, was a very uh, a big um influence on how we did our marketing. She's, she's an amazing woman and she really, really understands how people think. Um, and she said, Brian, we, you may have like an ideal client. Maybe you have two ideal clients. Like you have one that's a property manager and one that's, uh, you know, a homeowner and maybe one that's a commercial, uh, contact that you use to get like commercial buildings or something. And, and, um, she goes, I want to know everything about them. So what I did was I went through my customer list and I talked to all of the, my techs and all the people in my office. And I said, I want you to tell me the 10 best customers that we have. And if they all provided me with different lists and I looked at the names and the names that were on there are multiple names. Like everybody said, Josh Latimer. Then I called Josh. I actually called you and I say, Josh, um, listen, this is Brian. Um, you know, I asked my employees who the best customer was and they said it was you. And I just want to ask you, can I pick your brain for a couple minutes. I just want to find out everything I can about you. So I ask them what their buying habits are. I ask them, um, you know, I already know roughly how much money they make and how much their house costs. Cause you can just go on Zillow and look at that. So it's kind of rude to ask those kind of questions. Uh, you know, how many kids they have, um, if they were going to go out and buy a brand new car, what, what kind of car would they buy and why, you know, like, Oh, I want to buy a Mercedes cause I want a car that's nice looking and I want a car that's really dependable. Okay. So he's telling me, He's a neat freak or he's got it. He likes it's like having something shiny like that makes him feel good. Um, and also that he wants something that's dependable because it doesn't have time to be screwing around with like a, you know, an old, a Buick Opal from 1978, you know, it's going to be falling apart. So he's, <laughs> that was a know, very specific example, Brian. They were pretty bad cars. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I, I, I picked their brains and I found out every single thing about them. And then I created all my marketing just for them. I bought lists just for them. I, I, I know, like, I'm not sending it out. If you wanted to say like, okay, how many Josh Latimers are there in this 2000 house or 2000 home neighborhood? There might be three. So why am I sending it out to 1997 other people? I'm just wasting money and time. So I start looking for my ideal client. We also do referral uh, marketing, which is really good. We get a lot of referrals from our existing clients. Um, we ramped up our five-star review um, acquisition. So we, I think we have now over like 700 five-star reviews. That's huge um, when people search because like at, at our one location, I think we have over 600 and at the other one is like 150 or something. And um, it's huge because everyone else has like 30, 40, 50, doesn't even matter. I mean, like when you, when you have 600 
five star reviews, people pay attention to that. And they mentioned it. Um, we also, uh, besides that, I mean, we, we use a different, we do, use a lot of digital online marketing. Um, I'm not real big on Facebook marketing at all. Um, I, I've have my SEO guys trying to keep, get me to do it, you know, doing 15 second videos on Facebook. And I'm like, it's the same thing as doing EDDM. How do I know that I'm, I'm targeting my market? Well, for what do you, when you say, I think it's really interesting. You weren't just focused on demographics, like the size of their house and their income. You're focused on psychographics. So their brain, the way they think, how they value things. Yep. Um, but how are you finding these people or is there just, did you change your processes to, I mean, we change act, from a practical perspective. Okay. If they're looking for us, we made it easier for them to find us. Mm. Okay. And if we're looking for them, we bought lists on people that we, you know, we really drilled it down on what we want in our list. I would also tell you this, if you're going to do any kind of marketing, you need to get something like, uh, I, I'm not pushing this product, but get something like call rail or phone wagon get a phone number for everything. We have a different phone number on our trucks. We have a different phone number on our lawn signs. We have a different phone number on our Google ads. We have to, so I can see where this stuff's coming from. My organic listings, in, uh, if you search us, our organic listings have different phone numbers on. They have rolling phone numbers. So I can tell where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. And then we can track that. It goes into our CRM. We can track it in our CRM and I can pop up a report and I can say, oh, okay, well, Last month, we got 18 jobs off of lawn signs. Um, we need to be really making sure that we're putting out more lawn signs. Or if I got one job off a of lawn sign, I'm just going to stop doing it. Mm-hmm. So you, bigger emphasis on data. You were purchasing oh. lists of specific people, not just on demographics, but- Yes. And then we, perfected, we, then we perfected our sales process. And we, we read a lot of books on selling, but not old school, old school, hardcore- used car selling techniques. Like um, Grant Cardone's got a lot of really good stuff on how to get over objections. We use some of his stuff, but other stuff that he's got is like, look, here's the pen, sit down, shut up and sign. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't care for Grant Cardone's style. I Damn. mean, I respect what he's accomplished, but it's a different flavor. than It, it is. Know. It's a little more, it's East Coast in your face and people aren't doing that anymore. There's There's studies out there that show you that when someone reaches out to contact you for an estimate, they already, if you do your marketing right, 70% chance they're going to buy from you right, right on the spot. Unless you screw it up. You don't answer your phone. You stumble over your words. You don't Correct. follow up. You don't yep. anchor them to value correctly. And did you do like any kind of overhaul on, in terms of like the copy on your website and the language Everything. you're using and all that, right? Okay. Yep. That makes yep. sense. It was really a full spectrum approach. I mean, it wasn't yeah. one thing. It was just leveling up and and spit shining a whole bunch of things. It sounds like. Yep. And then what we did was we looked at our sales process. Um, we actually did that this winter. You know, they say, and, and I, I agreed with it for a very, very long time. It's like, if your close rate goes up over 50%, you should raise your prices. That's what everyone says. Like keep your close rate at 50%, right? That means 50% of the phone calls that you answer, 50% of the estimates you drive out to do 50% of the follow-up calls that you're doing is a waste of time. Half of the yeah. time, half of the time, your admin and salespeople are wasting time. Okay, how would it be if you could be the highest price guy, like literally be the highest price guy, and you're 100 sure you're the highest price guy, and you're closing 70. percent Yeah. What's the point of raising your What's the point of raising your prices? Now I'm only wasting 30 percent of my time, and I'm getting more money. You know what the most common response is from me when I'm coaching businesses, like in terms of a phrase, the the thing I probably say the most when I'm working with small businesses is the phrase, it depends. (laughs) Yeah. And what I mean is, is what people want is they want, they want like the super simple answer. Like uh, what, what should my close rate be? People ask that all the time. Right. And to me, it, it just depends. What's your capacity, right? Well, that's the number one thing. What's your right. revenue goal? Are you on pace or off pace? You know, are how many hours are your techs getting? Like, there's so many factors, right? And it's just a game of understanding your business model, your targets, what you're doing. But you're, I agree, people leave money on the table. A lot of small businesses have a really small close rate because they're super obsessed with profitability. But what they don't understand is it doesn't matter if you make $200 an hour and you're working 10 hours a week when you could be making $125 an hour and working 40 hours a week, right? So there's different ways to look at it. It depends on the person's goals and stuff. 
Um, but all of this is just super fascinating. Um, what would you say to someone who doesn't have a huge customer list? Okay. Let's say they're forced to, they can work their customer list, but they're forced to kind of go boots in the ground, get out there and figure out a way to make it happen. What would you say to either encourage them or advice you'd give them? Um, so they can survive in, in <laughs> the next couple months as things are resetting? Well, I would say um, right now, I think one of the best values is, is um, Google Ads because the price is coming down because the competition is less. A um, lot, of, lot of people have pulled their marketing. And l- listen, pulling your marketing is like shutting off the fuel in an airplane. <laughs> it's just going to come down. Don't pull your marketing. Up your marketing and... Uh, instead of paying cost per click, pay cost per lead. It costs you more money, but it's actually a lead. It's not somebody clicking through to something else that you're paying, uh, you know, or your competition going in there, hitting on your ad 50 times and <laughs> using up your ad budget, you know? You're That's paying, good advice. Yeah, pay cost per lead. Um, I would say, again, communicate with your existing clients. If you're brand new in business, like this is your first or second year and you don't have existing clients, I would have to think about that because people really don't want you coming by their house right now. Um, man, and people aren't going out, like really going out. Um, I think the one thing you might be able to do that, that would probably work in your favor would be to do, um, like go clean a swing set in your, in your neighborhood, uh, for free, like just go out and, and clean the outside, soft wash the swing set in your neighborhood and do a press release on it. Like, you know, this is our neighborhood, so we decided to come down here and do the sanitizing for free. You know, try to get free press, something along those lines, like clean the entrance sign to a community or something, you know. Um, I don't know. What would you no, say? Those, those are good answers. I mean, it's a really hard question because, again, it depends. <laughs> it depends on so many factors. But what I want to encourage people to do is to make sure that they're doing something. So what what happens is, Let's say if someone's used to going out and uh, passing out flyers and getting a certain result, and now they're not getting that result. So what they want to do is they want to stop and not do anything. Right. And I think that's where the mistake is right there. So I, you can either, when you're marketing, and you, if you're forced to externally market, not to your current customers to survive, you can either invest time or money. If you don't have money, good news, you probably have a lot of time, right? If you have a lot of money, you probably have less time. So you have to be willing to humble yourself and to put in the work, even right now. And so what I've been telling people to do is to invest in relationship marketing really heavily. So for example, you know, we already know that nine out of 10 of these businesses are not, really not gonna do anything until after things start to get better. And in their brain, they're justifying it by saying, well, what are you gonna do? Hey, there's a virus, hey, there's quarantine. Um, but there are things we can do. For example, we can data mine lists of all the decision makers, all the property managers we need to meet, all the top realtors. You should know the mayor in your town. You should know the head of the BNI groups in the Chamber of Commerce. You should literally know the decision makers at different vertical commercial accounts like assisted livings and nursing homes and medical facilities and industrial. And there's, there's things we can do with our brain that will make us a whole bunch of money tomorrow right? And so low level people or low achieving people, what they do is they say, well, I'm going to do the important thing tomorrow. And Russell Brunson just did a podcast on this. It was really interesting. He called it the manana principle. (laughs) This idea of, uh, hey, as soon as this blows over, I'm going to get out there and I'm going to do it. Too late. Uh, But the people that are high achievers, they have the manana principle too, but they just flip it. So they say, oh, I can't, you know, I'm going to go out today. I'm going to, I'm going to meet somebody. I'm going to build a valuable relationship, regardless if I make money today, I'm going to invest in my network or I'm going to go market or I'm going to whatever. I'm going to do this hard work today. Oh man. And tomorrow when I get to sit in the hot tub and think about how great my life is, then, then that's going to be so great. And so it has to do with what you think tomorrow's going to bring you. And so if you're waiting for tomorrow to bring you peace and and a solution and a resolution, you're going to put yourself in a bigger hole. But if you look forward to tomorrow as being a time you can relax rather than today, it's going to be, it's going to be better for you. And and I totally get, like, I can hear some of the people listening to this being like, Oh, blah, 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 Josh. I, you know, you don't understand Josh. And, And I get it because there is nuance and it is hard, but I'm telling you right now, there's no excuse for you to do nothing and be paralyzed. A lot of people listening to this, 
could, could still be working 80 hours a week, just in a different way. Why aren't you reading a book on copywriting and updating the copy on your website? Why aren't you l figuring out Canva and redesigning some of your garbage marketing lit literature? Why aren't you understanding your sales process and understanding how to pre-frame and overcome objections before people have them? Learning how to package pricing and how to anchor people to a higher price so when you give them the discount on the package, they're pleasantly surprised even though it's still a high number. Why aren't you looking at your KPIs and metrics? Why aren't you going through your taxes and your expenses and your PL, do you even know how to create or read a PL? Do you know what a balance sheet is? Okay, so okay. Much stuff. I, I will, I will stop. Manana, manana, manana. There's so <laughs> I there's so many things that you can can be doing right now. And and you know, we're positioning ourselves so when we come out of this, we are folks, we are coming out of this. This is not forever. It's a virus. The summer is going to kill it off, if anything. Okay. We're going to be coming out of this thing and we're going to get back to whatever it was. People, there's some businesses that are going to go out of business and there's some that aren't. And there's some that are going to be winners in this and some that are going to be losers. There are a ton, a ton of really good quality A players that are out of work right now. If you want to do anything, run a help wanted ad. Start getting a bunch of names interview these people, get it all ready to go. And if you get work, bring them in. Because if you want, this is a shift and I'm looking at it as an opportunity. This is a shift. We're getting on average, we're getting like 40 applicants a day. I'm not saying they're all good, but we're getting 40 a day in our, in the top of our funnel. And we're picking up the people that we need right now. You also have to be thinking about supply chain issues. Most of the stuff in my business is made in China or Italy. Mm, oh, manufacturing okay, we haven't even down. talked about that. Yeah. Yeah. Their manufacturing is shut down right now. Six months from now, when you're looking for that unloader or six months from now, when you're looking for that coupler or the pump or the whatever motor, uh, it's not going to be available. So you need to make sure that you have your, all the supplies you're going to need when this pops out. There's also in my industry, we do exterior house washing. There's going to be a pent up demand. People right now are sitting on the fence. Some of them are sitting on the fence, but my guys are still closing close to 70%. I just, while, we were, while you were talking, I just looked at their Excel sheets that they send me over every day and they're like 68 to 69% close rate right now. Mm. Yep. They have, they have uh, you know, you know, you're talking about the deal flow being a little bit less, Josh. Yeah. And, and you're hearing people in their call centers being a little bit less, mm -hmm. but it gives you more time to work with that lead. The money is in the follow-up and it gives you more time to work with that lead. We did our sales process this winter. We went over every word that we say, how we say it, when we say it. We added a whole bunch of new stuff that's top secret. I'm not telling anybody. But <laughs> we had, I'm not. I'm not saying it on your podcast. But we added a whole bunch of new stuff that's just top me and you, Brian. Come on. And we we worked on our profit and loss statement. No, <laughs> we we um we 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 actually increased our close rate from fifty five percent to almost seventy percent. And that's and that's a year over year increase during a crazy pandemic. Yes, right. We're booked out wow. right now until um, almost the entire month of April for um, four crews. So that's eight guys out working, and we have we have four two other crews right now that are just floating, and we're getting work for them every day. So it's really not hard to get work for four guys every day. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable what you're doing in the mouths that you're it's feeding. Attitude, Josh. It's the yeah. attitude. I'm not sitting here hiding under my desk. I'm not going to do it. I refuse. We're not participating in this. We're going to move forward. We're going to go out and do what we got to do. One of my sales guys had this attitude, like you know, I called him up and he was like, "Oh man, I don't know what we're going to do." La la la. And I'm like, "Listen, man, you got to get it together because you're you just bought into all the junk you're watching on TV." And you're just bought into all that news and everything. Turn the TV off. Look around you. How many people do you see coughing and dying? You see any ambulances running down your street? No. It's not as bad as everybody's making it out to be. Mm -hmm. Get about your normal business. Get out and do what you got to do. And if you're, you know, I was just talking to um, uh, one of the other conquer coaches yesterday. He told me as a guy um, that is, is in a specific city and he's got rental properties and he's got uh, a window cleaning business. And the guy is literally like shut down. Mm -hmm. that's a hard one. I don't know what to tell that person except for what Josh said, all those things that you can work on right now so that when this thing does, the lid comes off and the doors open back up and the sun comes out and everybody's smiling and the rain stopped and they're going to want that stuff done. They got to get it done. Plan for it. Make sure you have supplies. Make sure you have staff. Make sure you've got everything that you need. So when this thing turns back on, 
you're ready to go. That's good advice. That's that's great advice, Brian. I love your perspective. The the straight to the point East Coast style. <laughs> your story, you know, for people um, that don't know, you know, Brian's hired over a thousand people in his career. He's totally automated and systemized his business over the last few years. He's just on fire. I'm so glad I got to catch you. That I can get the get the word out and encourage people. And uh, I hired and fired. You have to say because I wasn't a good leader. <laughs> I was hiring pretty bad, but. Now the hires that we make, I, I want to tell you something, Josh, and this is absolutely no bull. We have not had an employee miss a day of work in two years. Mm. Nobody has missed a day in two years. We have built a company culture where if somebody was not to come to work, they would feel like they were letting everybody else down. It's a band of brothers and sisters. They all love each other. It's a great company. It's a fun place to work. We do a lot of cool stuff together, like Monday morning breakfast. Once a month, we run out for dinner, and we, we, I take the whole company out to dinner. Once a month, we go out for an extravaganza like hatchet throwing or top golf or bowling or uh, one of those uh, escape rooms. And we have it all planned out. We have uh, Colleen, who's our extravaganza facilitator. She wanted a title. We gave her one. She's our <laughs> extravaganza facilitator. That's awesome. And she finds cool places and things for us to do. And everyone likes it. We all go out and have fun. We're, in, we're not in work clothes, you know, and, and uh, my guys are all hanging around with each other now. They all work out at the same gym, you know. So, I mean, a lot of that's shut down right now. But we're still doing every morning we do a Zoom meeting to keep the culture going. Well, if there's, a, if there's something I can, can add to that that I, that I heard you say or that I'm hearing the listener think as you say that. Don't forget that you can do this stuff right now. You can do everything Brian just said. You can do a smaller version of it, even if you have one or two people. Uh, Because people like to just dismiss. It's hard because I want to bring on people doing big things because I want to inspire people and show people it's possible, which I think I've done over the last few years and, and and help people think bigger. But there's another section of people that listen to it and dismiss it because they say, oh, well, I can't do that yet. I can't be that kind of leader yet. You know, I don't even have an employee. Yes, you can. You need to lead yourself, right? How are you going to expect people to respect you someday if you don't even respect yourself right now? How are you going to be a leader if you can't lead your household and yourself? Like, read between the lines of what Brian's saying, and I'm just talking to this specific group of people right now, and knock it off, right? Because you can do it. I agree 100%, Josh. It's all in your attitude. You know, honestly, just stop. Just put blinders on and focus, Put blinders on and focus and just say, I am going to make this work. I'm getting out of bed. I'm getting off the couch. I'm going to make this work. I'm going to start right now. Here's a list of the things and only put down like two things on the list. Don't go writing sheets of paper out with 50 things on it. You got to do it's overwhelming. Here's two things that I'm going to do right now today. I'm going to get these two things done, whether it's like you said, Josh, work on your advertising on your website or your copywriting on your website read a book on leadership to become a better leader. You know, if you want to hang around your house, stop watching TV, listen to an audio book, get extreme ownership. You'll love it. The power of community by Howard Partridge. I can't, it's a mandatory book here. Everybody's got to read it. How to win friends and influence people. Everybody's got to read it. Read it yourself. Understand it, what it takes to make, to become a good leader and to listen. I started with one truck in 1990 and house washing wasn't even a thing. I had to go to Texas and buy that machine from Michael Hindelider's father. <laughs> they didn't even have it here. I had to buy a truck, drive it to Texas from New Jersey, get the machine and bring it back up here in 1990. Right? That's awesome. Yeah. I bought it from Mike Hindelider's dad. You know? So like, you, I'm just saying like, I started with one truck in 1990. You know, here it is. If I knew what I knew now, which I, I, it's so easy for you to know what I know now because I'm telling you. Mm. You can go online and find out about it. But I mean, I had to do it the hard way. There was no internet or no, there was no group of people or Facebook group or anything you could bounce stuff off of. It is so easy to succeed in this business now that I don't know why more people aren't successful. I can just picture it now, Brian, you building your, your, your plan and, you know, decades ago with your typewriter, listening to records on your record player, dreaming about the future. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'll tell you what, it was DOS. On the computers. <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to make this video. This is totally unrelated, and, and then I'll let you go. I appreciate your time. But Ashley and I, with Honor and Fire, I came up with this really funny video idea. And we're going to make this video where uh, we're at. We're on date night, 
and we both have typewriters. Huh. We're typing on the typewriters, not paying attention to each other. And then we're like, we then one of us is on the toilet in the bathroom on the typewriter, and then we're laying oh, in like a phone? To each other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we're gonna have typewriters everywhere. Our kids are gonna be like, Dad, 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 and I'm like ignoring them because I'm typing <laughs> in the typewriter. No, you used to get all your kids' typewriters at the table, but little ones. Oh, <laughs> uh, I just oh, I'm so excited. I think that could go viral. It's gonna be. So Can you even buy a typewriter? I don't know. I'm, well, yeah, I'm sure somewhere on eBay or something. Uh, I bet they cost a lot of money. They probably cost more than a phone. Yeah, you're probably right. It might have to start at Goodwill. Look yeah, at this. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, Brian, thank you for spending so much time with us and uh, encouraging people. Super appreciate you. Um, any other cl- closing thoughts you have before I let you go? Uh, Josh, the only thing I can, can do is just reiterate to everybody that, you know, the stuff that you think is going to happen, the false evidence that's appearing real is not going to happen. So stop hiding under your desk, get out from underneath of it, pull up, put your boots on, get your helmet on, get back in the game and, and start winning to play to win. I mean, play to win because if you're not playing to win, I'm going to win. That's right. This thing to me is a non-event. It's going to be over with. And, and it's just a little shift and a little dynamic. I, I'm not, when I say non-event, I don't want to discount anybody that died or anybody that's sick, but I'm just saying in business, it's a hiccup. Mm-hmm. It's a hiccup. Well, I, I, I am. Uh, I have a lot of compassion for all the small competitors you have in your market, Brian. <laughs> Especially for you, and also for Tommy Mello's competitors, because you guys are just a force right now, and you're full of rocket fuel, and you're just running towards the storm, which is awesome. I love you, man. I appreciate you, and uh, we'll have to catch up again really soon. I love you too, bro. Take it easy. If you're ready to go even deeper, go to Facebook and search for The Growth Vault. It's a free community with thousands of other business owners just like you. I'll see you next time on The Growth Vault.